Psalm 23, hear now the word of the Lord. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. A few years ago, I was at Greater Mount Calvary Missionary Baptist Church, and I heard Pastor Hairston preach on this passage. And I, I liked what he did so much, I'm going to be borrowing a couple of his, of his insights. I, part of it was that he just, he just preached a sermon on, The Lord is my shepherd. And really, I mean, that has quite enough in it to handle, handle a whole sermon. And he, he walked through Psalm 23 showing how each word matters and how the whole psalm illustrates and applies the Lord is my shepherd. I mean, that's just two words in Hebrew. Yahweh Roi. The Lord, my shepherd. The other thing, other thing I loved about what Pastor Harrison did was the way he connected Psalm 23 with Psalm 22. Because the same voice who just cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In Psalm 22, is now saying, The Lord, my shepherd. It's worth remembering, not just on Easter Sunday, but now, eight days later, all through the year, that even as our Lord Jesus walked through the valley of deep darkness, the valley of the shadow of death, he, he did not fear evil. He was forsaken, abandoned, yes. And yet even then, he was the one saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yes, Jesus was the eternal Son of God. So even as he was one with the Father hanging on the cross, he was both one with the Father and yet also abandoned by the Father. He was the Lord's anointed. He was the Messiah, the one in whom God and man walked together as one person. From all eternity, he was one with the Father. And in the incarnation, he joined God and man in his own flesh. And yet on that cross, while he remained the one who holds the universe together by the word of his power, he did not experience the closeness, the oneness with the Father. What he experienced was our alienation. Our affliction. He bore our sin and our misery. He did not cease to be who he was. Rather, he added our affliction and our misery. He took to himself all that we are so that he might join us to himself. Because you see, 
Jesus is the one who called out, the Lord is my shepherd. He is the one who is, he's the voice of the Lord is my shepherd. And yet, by joining himself to our humanity, he joins us to his voice so that we might say with him, the Lord is my shepherd. Our New Testament lesson comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 7. Revelation, chapter 7, starting in verse 9. Hear now the word of the Lord. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of the Lord. The Lamb who is the shepherd. Jesus was the one who said, the Lord is my shepherd, but as our Lord Jesus is raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of God, ascended to the throne, the Lamb becomes the shepherd because he is the Lord who is the shepherd as well as the Lamb of the shepherd. Psalm 23 is one of the most well-known and well-beloved psalms in the Psalter. With its famous imagery of of the shepherd, it's been frequently connected with Jesus' teaching on the good shepherd in John's gospel. But have you ever noticed that the the imagery shifts halfway through the psalm? Uh, It's all about a shepherd leading his his flock. But then all of a sudden in verse 5, we've switched over to a banquet. What's going on here? If we're a flock of sheep being led by a good shepherd, then why are we sitting at a table? Sheep don't usually sit at tables. Why would a shepherd anoint a sheep's head with oil? And uh, how can a sheep drink out of a cup? (laughs) Well, what's what's going on here is actually when you when you think about what the shepherd imagery is doing in Scripture, you can see what's going on in Psalm 23, because throughout the Scriptures. The, the idea of the Lord as our shepherd is connected to all sorts. I mean, shepherds were a common feature of the ancient world. You know, all the way back to the beginning of the book of Genesis, Abel was a shepherd who cared for the flocks. And Jacob meets Rachel as she was shepherding her father's flocks. And then Joseph's brothers identify themselves as shepherds when speaking with Pharaoh. Uh, 
something you see all throughout the book of Genesis. The Israelites are shepherds. God's people are shepherds. Now, why is that important? Well, Jacob also refers to God as the shepherd who has led him through all his life. And when Jacob blesses Joseph, he speaks of God as the shepherd of Israel. And in the Exodus, God led his people like a flock out of Egypt. God is the shepherd. In a sense, you can tell the whole story of the Bible as the story of the shepherd. In Numbers 14, we hear the children of Israel were shepherds in the wilderness for 40 years. In Numbers 27, when Moses is about to die, he asks God to provide a shepherd. He says, who shall go out before them and come in and before them? Who shall lead them out and bring them in that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd? We need a good shepherd. And God is the shepherd of Israel, but also, as Moses points out, God appoints men to shepherd his flock. And this comes together in the shepherd king, in David. He's introduced to us as a shepherd in 1 Samuel 16. And he uses his shepherd skills to defeat Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. David tries to use a sword and tries to wear armor. He's like, yeah, this this is going to end badly. I'm not that. I'm a shepherd. Yeah. You you do know that a sling and stone actually... David's actually... He's doing... This is a really good advantage for him. Is because he can he can be very agile and jump around, dance around. This is a good spot for him. He, he's not going to go hand-to-hand against Goliath. He's a shepherd. And that's something that when you think about the importance of the shepherd, David as the shepherd king. I mean, indeed, when, when the king dies in 1 Kings 22, the scattering of the people of Israel is called as sheep that have no shepherd. So God is a shepherd, and now David and his sons, the Davidic king, is the shepherd of the sheep. And several psalms use this theme, not just Psalm 23, but in Psalm 28, the Lord is the shepherd of Israel who carries them forever. Psalm 80 speaks of God as the shepherd of Israel. And Psalm 78 speaks of how God called David to shepherd his people, Israel. This then in the prophets turns to a a warning against the shepherds. Jeremiah 23 says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. When the shepherd is not caring for the flock well, when the shepherd is destroying the flock, then God says, I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold. They shall be fruitful and multiply. So God basically says, I will shepherd them. And then he says, I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Why? Because he says, I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. So in Jeremiah 23, God says that he is the good shepherd. And so he will raise up new shepherds, particularly establishing the son of David, who will bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Um, This is a theme that the prophets run through regularly. Ezekiel, Isaiah, Amos, Zephaniah, Micah, Zechariah, 
all use the theme of the shepherd in similar ways. So when you say, the Lord is my shepherd, you are saying something that's very connected to how did God bring his people out of of Egypt? How did God establish his kingdom in David? How did God promise to renew his people after the exile and restore the Davidic king? All of this is involved when you say, the Lord is my shepherd. Because this is a psalm of David. And as we've seen, of David could mean by David, or about David, or for David. And that's why the ESV does well at simply saying, of David. But as we've been seeing here in book one, the of David tells us, read this song, sing this song in the voice of David. It's David's voice that is to be heard in the Lord is my shepherd. David is saying, the Lord is my shepherd. He is the one who leads me, the king of Israel. At the same time, the fact that this psalm is then used in the worship of the, of the people of God urges every Israelite to inhabit this song as well. Because, because, because David is the one who is both the shepherd king, but then also the sheep who is being led by the Lord, every Israelite is called to see the Lord as my shepherd as well. And so that makes it very easy to see how Psalm 23 should be heard as, yes, the song of our Lord Jesus Christ, but it's also our song as we are united to Christ. You see, that helps us know how to sing Psalm 23. Because it's not just it's not just the sort of me and God, it's me in Christ. If we if we have this tendency in our culture to to sort of put myself at the center of the story, and what the scriptures call us to do is keep Jesus at the center of the story. And how do I fit into Jesus' story? How do I participate and share in the life of what Jesus is doing in establishing his kingdom? Because that's who I am. And as we saw last time, at the resurrection, Jesus said, Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. When Jesus ascends to the Father, then truly the Lord becomes my shepherd. And there are two things that a shepherd does. He leads his flock and he feeds his flock. With Yahweh as my shepherd, I will lack nothing. If the Lord is my shepherd, I will have everything I need. As Psalm 34.10 says, The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who fear the Lord lack no good thing. It's the same thing that Jesus says when he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God will provide the things that you need, food and raiment. It doesn't mean he'll give you everything you want, but he'll give you everything you need. He created us to need first him. He made us for himself. That's why our hearts are restless. That's why our hearts are always looking for something we were created to need. But what we need first is God himself. 
Think of how David speaks of how, how shall I have no lack? How will I lack nothing? Well, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. We heard about this in Psalm 1, verse 3. The blessed man is like a tree planted by streams of water. And now we have the image of, of the sheep coming to this still water. The, the term still water here is, is the waters of rest. The waters of rest are the waters that flow from the heavenly throne of God. Uh, when Solomon built the temple, God said, This is my resting place forever. God promises to dwell with his people. But of course, through Israel's rebellion, God warned in Psalm 95, they shall not enter my rest. Those who rebel against God do not enter his rest. And here David says, he, he leads me beside the waters of rest. It's not, if I just try harder, then I'll, then I'll, I'll, I'll attain rest. No, no. He leads me. And he restores my soul. What does that mean? Psalm 23 has become so familiar to us. What does it mean? He restores my soul. Well, the word for restore, to bring back, is one that is used all throughout the Old Testament to refer to the restoration from exile, which is all sorts of exiles, all sorts of captivities. When God restores the captives, I don't know how much we have experience of this, but maybe you've known somebody who was held prisoner. You've heard stories about people who were held captive. Mary Rowlandson was a 17th century uh, woman in New England who was captured by Indians and held captive for several months. And she wrote about her captivity and the restoration from captivity in the language of Psalm 137 by the waters of Babylon. There we, I, I was in captivity and the Lord restoring the captivity, restoring us from our exile. This is very much resurrection language that the Lord restores my soul. He brings me back from captivity. He brings me back from my disintegration. I mean, part of what happens in our, in our souls is when, when we are wandering aimlessly, when we are heading different directions, when, when we act one way among some people and another way among other people, our souls are disintegrating. But the Lord restores our soul. He brings back our soul. As we live before Him, we walk holy before Him, practicing the presence of God, seeking first His kingdom. And He restores my soul, and He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Notice that He does this for His name's sake. He leads me in paths of righteousness not because I'm such a great person. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake, because He is accomplishing His purposes. And what's meant by paths of righteousness is, becomes clear when you contrast it with what comes next. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, oh, that's a path of righteousness? Yeah. The valley of the shadow of death, it was for Jesus the path of righteousness. 
The path of righteousness led him to the cross. And then what did Jesus tell us? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So yeah, paths of righteousness, paths of, of living holy, living a, as, a, as a restored soul before God, paths of righteousness will mean affliction and suffering and trial, the cross. Now, the valley of the shadow of death is a, a, a lovely uh, way of putting it. It's, it's a valley of, of deep darkness. It, the image here is of, of one of the many wadis, the, the valleys of, of Israel. And if you're, if you're a sheep, astray in a wadi, yeah, you, you're not likely to make it back. Between wild animals and, and robbers, either one of whom will make a meal of you, the deep dark valley is truly the valley of the shadow of death. Indeed, I mean, even though deep, dark valley would probably be more literal, even the most literal of translations have all said, you know what, valley of the shadow of death captures it so well, we're going to keep it that way. Because it really is in the valley of the shadow of death that I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Why do I fear no evil? Because you are with me. Remember what's at the heart of the Abrahamic covenant when God said, I will be your God and you will be my people. God told Jacob when Jacob went down to to Egypt, I will go down with you. When Jacob left the land behind him and descended down into the pit of Egypt, he feared no evil because the Lord his shepherd was with him. When David fled from Saul and went to the Philistines, he feared no evil because Yahweh, his shepherd, had promised to restore his soul. And when Israel went into exile, even for their sin, still they feared no evil, for God's promise remained. I fear no evil, for you are with me. And that's what makes the cry from the cross in Psalm 22 so powerful. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I will fear no evil, for you are with me. How do those two things go together? Well, because when our Lord Jesus Christ descended into the valley of the shadow of death, when he descended alone into the exile of hell, he went as the one man who could survive that path. Because our Lord Jesus Christ is not merely the sheep who cries out, the Lord is my shepherd. He is also the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. And because Jesus has walked the valley of the shadow of death, because he has descended into hell and taken the wrath and curse of God that was due to us, therefore when we walk the valley... Our valley does not go as deep and as dark as his because he has joined us to himself and we need fear no evil because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod and the staff is used to to protect the flock, to beat off their enemies, but, but also to correct them. And we ought to find comfort in the discipline of our good shepherd as he gently corrects us and leads us in paths of righteousness because he leads us and he feeds us. And this is in verse 5 where the imagery suddenly shifts and we we move from dangerous wadis and verdant pastures to a more urban setting of warriors and feasts. 
and you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Where did these enemies come from? Why is a shepherd preparing a table for a sheep? Well, as we saw earlier, the shepherd is the Lord. The first person singular is David. And all Israel in and with David, just as we join our voices in and with Christ. My enemies are all around. But in the midst of my enemies, you prepare a table before me. Just as I have perfect trust in my shepherd, so I also have perfect trust in the one who prepares this banquet. You are the one who leads me. You are the one who feeds me. And you anoint my head with oil. Now, this is, this is not the, the phrase used for a royal anointing. This is the phrase used for an anointing before a meal. Uh, it's a practice which we aren't all that familiar with, but, but if you've been out in the dust and grime all day, and a little oil will smooth things down and make you smell better. So you anoint my head with oil. This is, this is a common theme, and actually that's why, it's why oil makes the face shine, uh, because it's, it's a way of, you know, you smell better when you've got some olive oil on you, and you, it, it, it's a, and you look better, you feel better. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. This feast is spread before me by the master of the banquet. In spite of my foes, we may be confident that this is the the cup of blessing, the cup of salvation, which is the Lord himself, as Psalm 116 will, will speak of. You are my cup. And because the good shepherd leads me, and because he feeds me at his table, therefore I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Now, I love the way David puts it here. So, goodness and mercy, tov and chesed, you know, the good will follow me. Covenant loyalty, covenant faithfulness will follow me. But not just follow me. Follow is too tame a translation. Uh, the word translated follow here is, is the word that's used for when an army is following you. In Psalm 19, we heard it when David said he was pursued by his enemies. In Psalm 7, we heard it when David cried out for help while being pursued down into Sheol. This word is never used for something that just kind of tamely follows. No. We often think of this in such sweet terms. Ah, surely goodness and mercy will daintily follow me all my days. No, no. Goodness and steadfast love are not merely trotting along behind me. They are relentlessly hounding me. What? But Now, isn't that encouraging? The good things of God, God's covenant loyalty, will pursue you relentlessly and hunt you down wherever you go. Because the Lord is my shepherd. God's steadfast love won't accidentally take a wrong turn and miss you. It may run over you sometimes. But the hound of heaven is on your heels. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now why is David talking about dwelling in the house of the Lord? He's a king. And as we saw from Leviticus, only the high priest gets to go into the Holy of Holies. And for that matter, the king doesn't even go into the holy place. So why why is he saying he gets to dwell in the house of the Lord forever? Well, 
The Psalms often speak this way. Psalm 27 speaks of how the psalmist desires to dwell in the house of the Lord. Psalm 92 speaks of how the righteous are planted in the house of the Lord. Because to dwell in the house of the Lord didn't mean to live in the temple in Jerusalem. You see, they, they understood really well what the house of the Lord meant. It wasn't just the temple in Jerusalem. It's the presence of God. It's being with Him. To live in the house of the Lord, to dwell in the house of the Lord, means that the king is sitting on the throne, the priests are offering the sacrifices, righteousness and peace reigns over all the land. We live in a realm of peace, abundance, joy, and satisfaction because we are dwelling with our God. Now, we don't know all the circumstances behind when Psalm 23 was written, but obviously it was written when things weren't all right. I mean, which means it wasn't written on David's coronation day, and it wasn't written on the day that the temple was dedicated. Okay, so that means at some other point. Because how often in David's life, or the rest of Israel's life, how often were things the way they should be? How often in your life, my life, are things the way they should be? It's one of the reasons why Psalm 23 has become a favorite at funerals. Because Psalm 23 speaks in the context of exile, deportation, and death. Exodus 23 is all about a a new exodus, a new march through the wilderness, a new settlement in the promised land. The shepherd of Israel must once again relentlessly pursue his wandering sheep. I am the good shepherd who goes in search of the sheep. and I will find my sheep and bring them back. Psalm 23 is, is all about how God will draw us back to himself. How Jesus comes as the good shepherd who restores our souls. Who brings us back to the banqueting table even in the presence of our foes as we now walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Because that's what our Lord Jesus has done. He is the Lamb who sings Psalm 23, and He is the Shepherd who teaches us to sing Psalm 23. Listen listen again to how uh, how Revelation 7 put it. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders, the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then one of the elders turns to John and says, Who are these clothed in white robes and where have they come from? I said, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. They have, they dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne 
will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The lamb who passed through the valley of the shadow of death is now the shepherd who guides us safely through. And you can have confidence that in the midst of your valley, in the midst of your deep darkness, in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, the presence of the Lamb who is the shepherd will guide and guard and restore your soul as you trust in him and walk before him. Lord God, have mercy on us because we, we are forgetful and we, we turn aside to our own paths and we forget your great mercy and love in Jesus. Have mercy on us, we pray, and, and help us. Help us to, to listen to your voice, to draw near to you day by day, to walk humbly before you in each place where you put us, in each situation where you have us. May we always keep our minds fixed upon Jesus. May we always remember you and walk and talk before those around us as those who are always walking and talking in you, in Jesus Christ, your beloved Son. May your good spirit continue to work in us that which is pleasing in your sight, that we might more and more be conformed to the likeness of your, your Son, our Savior. For we pray in his name. Amen.